Heavenly Father, you are righteous, and therefore we know that your laws are right. We ask that you would send your spirit amongst us this morning so that we live rightly before you, the righteous one. Lord, we know that we cannot do it on our own because we are so unrighteous, we are so unholy, but you are holy, you are righteous, and your spirit, your righteous spirit can work within us if you in your grace give him to us in abundance. And so, Lord, we beg of this and ask for your help as we seek to look at your laws together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we can pick up our series again in the book of Colossians, which we've been working through together for a number of months now. We actually began this uh, just when the COVID break outbreak really became quite serious here in Australia. And so we continue to move on uh, through this book together as the Apostle Paul has encouraged the people, the Christians in the church in Colossae, that they should continue to look to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they should not be distracted by false teachings that have crept into the church in some way, uh, but instead they should recognise that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that he is God himself, and he alone is the way of salvation, that he is the one who has paid the debt that we have against God because of our sin. And then he has gone on after explaining who Jesus is and, and explaining the way that we have had this debt cancelled in chapter 2. He's gone on to give instructions as to how we are to live as God's people. Not to be saved, but because we are saved. We do not earn salvation by the way that we live. No, it is a free gift of God that is given to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. His death at the cross has paid for our sins. And so we are in right standing before God because of the Lord Jesus. But we are expected, therefore, to live as his people. And so we've been looking at the general instructions that are given to God's people as to how they are to live in chapter 3 and working through those. And now the Apostle Paul wants to speak to particular people within the church in verses 18 and following, giving particular instructions to those groups. Why does he do this? Why does he give different instructions to different people? Well, it's because we're not all the same. And we are not the same physically, and we're not the same in giftedness. Thus, we have different roles to play in this world, and the Apostle Paul wants to address these people in these different ways. So in verse 18, we see that it begins with wives, and then verse 19 begins with husbands, verse 20 begins with children, verse 21 talks to fathers, to parents, and then verse 22 talks to slaves and servants, and verse uh, 1 of chapter 4 talks to masters, uh, to those who are uh, slave owners or to those who are employers, as we'll look at in future weeks. And and so now we're going to start looking at these roles in particular and what it is to live for the Lord Jesus Christ as one of his people in these roles because we're not all serving in these different ways. We have particular instructions given to us for these particular roles. So what is the first group that we're looking at today? Well, it's there in verse 18. Wives. Wives, and then we'll look at verse 19, husbands. We're doing wives and husbands today. And then I hope all the children show up next week because we'll be addressing them in verse 20. And we'll look at fathers, uh, parents, and how they are to live. And then, Lord willing, we'll move to, uh, to slaves and to masters in the following week after that. So this week, we're looking firstly at wives and husbands. And what are the wives to do? Well, it's pretty plain there in the text, verse 18, the Lord tells us, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. 
Now, this is hard to hear for many women from what I understand. As I said, we're all different. We're all gifted in different ways, and I'm not a woman. But I recognise that this has been hard to hear for many women now in this culture that we live in and always going right back to the garden. It is not as though women have struggled with a command like this only recently since we've seen feminism in, in our Western culture rise to the level that it is today. No, women have struggled with this from the beginning. The Lord, when he uh, confronted Adam and Eve about the sin of eating the forbidden fruit in the garden, he speaks to the woman, and one of the things that he says to the woman is to Eve, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. That there's going to be this conflict within the home where there's a, a, a desire not to be the one who submits, but instead to be the one who rules in the home. And so it's there from the very beginning that there's going to be this struggle because of eating the fruit, that there's going to be this struggle within the home. First century women as well, when the time of the Apostle Paul, some of them could be quite powerful. You get hints of this in the New Testament of people actually meeting in the house of a particular woman. And her, her husband or any other man is not mentioned. It's, it's her home that they're actually meeting in. And you see that there's some very prominent women, uh, very powerful women who are converted in the book of Acts. So it's not as though this is a, a new phenomenon to struggle with this uh, for women. No, it is something that has been there from the very beginning, from the garden. But this submission, I want to be very clear, that is uh, commanded here in Scripture, does not imply inferiority. We have to remember that we are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all equal heirs. If we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have equal status before God in relation to him and the salvation that we have. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Just because you're commanded to submit to someone doesn't imply that you are inferior to that person, that you have less worth than the other person. And that is in clear in Scripture. But equality doesn't imply different, uh, that there are no roles and responsibilities that we have as God's people. You can't tell a police officer who pulls you over that he can't give you a ticket because he's no more of a person than you are, that you will not submit to him because he is just a human like you. You don't do that because you recognise that he has a particular role, a particular responsibility in society, and you are to submit to him. It doesn't imply by getting a ticket that you are less of a human being but you recognise that there's different roles and responsibilities that we have in society. And women have to recognise this as they read a verse like verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands. That is not teaching that you are inferior in your personhood, but it is also not... Uh, we have to recognise that the Bible assigns us different roles and responsibilities because we are different. And it's not a blind submission that you give here if you're a wife uh, to your husband. It is governed by a phrase at the end of the verse. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. A husband is under the Lord Jesus, under God. And you are under God as well. And so you are meant to be living according to God's ways. And if your husband tells you to do something that is against what is fitting in the Lord, then you don't have to do it. And so that means that you can exercise the gifts that you have received from the Lord. You have great freedom to live in this world, even under your husband's leadership. 
And the wonderful example given to us in Scripture is that one that we heard read for us before. Proverbs 31, that a very industrious woman where very little mention is made of her husband and what he's directing going on in that. He is mentioned at the, at the city gate, so it seems to be someone who is, may have some authority, but she's very industrious. She's off buying fields. She's doing things. She's working hard. She's using the gifts that have been given her. Just because it says submit to your husbands does not imply that you cannot use the gifts that the Lord has given you and that you should be living according to his ways, ultimately. He is the one who is above your husband. And your husband cannot tell you, let's go rob a bank today, and you have to submit to that. No. You say, no, that is not fitting in the Lord, and so I do not submit to that command that you have given me. So that's the wives. What about the husbands? The husbands have to be addressed as well. We recognise that wives submit to their husbands, but that goes hand in hand with the command that is given to husbands. The Apostle Paul doesn't stop there when it comes to the marital relationship. What do we learn about husbands? Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. What are the husbands to do? They're to love their wives. Love sums up all the commands of God. We understand that the commands of God are summed up in love the Lord your God and love your neighbour as yourself. And it sums up the way that he, the husband is to treat his wife. How is the husband meant to treat his wife? With love at all times. Just as love sums up the commands of God, love sums up the way that the husband is to speak and to act and to think even about his wife. You may be asking the question, well, what is love? Define love a bit more for me. Well, the wonderful passage given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 defines love so beautifully for us. Turn with me now to 1 Corinthians 13, that passage that is often read at weddings, and rightly so. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, page 1137, if you have a church Bible, page 1137. Chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, what is love? This is, husbands, how you are to love your wives. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. There's a definition of love for husbands as to how you are to treat your wives. But there's an ultimate standard that we have of love as well. If you're still saying, so, yes, okay, I see some of those things, but I still need some more guidance as to what it means to love my wife. Well, Ephesians chapter 5, a passage that is a parallel passage really to Colossians chapter 3, where in Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes similarly to wives, to husbands, to children, to parents, and then to slaves and masters. He tells us the standard of love that a husband is to have for his wife. Turn with me now, Ephesians chapter 5, page 1159, if you've got a church Bible, page 1159, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Okay, we've already had that in Colossians. What else does he say? just as Christ loved the church 
and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That's the ultimate standard of love by which a husband is to love his wife, just as Christ loved the church. Jesus is the standard by which we are to love our wives. So coming back to the wives then in Colossians chapter 3, what are they to submit to? We never really articulated what they are to submit to. What are they to submit to in their husbands? They're to submit to the husband's love. If the husband thinks, acts and speaks to his wife all the time with love, that's all she has to submit to. She has to remember that her husband is there for her good and for her prosperity, that he is there to love her not hate her. And so all the, hu- the wife should be submitting to is loving actions of the husband. If there are any commands given, it would be loving commands that are for her good, not for her harm. So why do we need to be commanded to submit and to love? Why do the women need to be, the wives need to be commanded to submit to the husbands? Why do the husbands need to be commanded here by the Apostle Paul to love their wives? Well, it's because pride wants independence, even within the marital relationship. Pride wants independence. We don't want help. And we don't want to help others. So often it can be the case that the wife just doesn't want the husband to love her. I can do it myself. Leave me alone. And the husband doesn't want to swallow his pride and love the wife and to help her, and to encourage her, and to support her. An illustration may be helpful at this point when it comes to the idea of submission and love. And what's a good illustration for us when it comes to submission? Well, the military is a good illustration for us because we often associate submission in the military. That's how the military actually functions. An army needs soldiers who swallow their pride and are loyal to their officers who give them commands and follow them into battle. Without submission by someone in the army, a war would never be won. Someone's got to swallow their pride and submit to somebody else. If everyone's an officer, the big decisions will never be made. And protection of the whole army will be lost because you'll never actually get anywhere. You won't be able to function if you have a military like that. And an army also then needs officers who swallow their pride and are loving towards their soldiers. The officers can't just lord their authority around and expect the soldiers to continue to suck it up and submit to them. No, they need to be loving and kind and good to their soldiers. Otherwise, what might happen? Well they may actually get harmed in the heat of battle. They may get shot by their own troops when they go out. It was actually a a matter that happened in uh, the Vietnam War that it became so often, uh, it happened, that it became known as fragging, uh, where officers were fragged by their own soldiers with grenades. Uh, It was something that if you really hated your officer, what you'd do is you'd throw a grenade in his tent and people wouldn't know whether the grenade was an enemy grenade or not. With grenades, it's very easy to... There's an explosion. It's very hard to tell uh, where the explosion came from, Uh, whereas if you're shooting someone, people can see the sort of the direction and it's it's a bit harder to shoot your own officer. But they were actually blowing up their own officers. Why would that be the case? 
Why would you want to blow up your own officer? Probably because he wasn't a particularly nice person. He wasn't very loving to his troops. He wasn't showing them goodness and kindness. And so he endangered his own life by the way he treated his troops. And he ended up dying. And so this is helpful for us to consider as we come to the marital relationship. We need to remember that our little married family, if you're married, that your little married family is a unit in a war. You're actually at war. We forget this, but we are at war. What war are we fighting as a married, in a married relationship? Well, the world is fighting against us. Satan is fighting against us. Even your own flesh is fighting against you. And it's wonderful if you are married that you've been able to enlist some help as we're all a part of that war. It's not only the married people that are at war, we're all at war. From birth, the world is against us. From birth, Satan is against us. From birth, your own flesh is working against you. And it's wonderful if you've been able to get married and you then have a wife if you are a wife, that you can thank God that he has given you an officer who loves you and helps you in that war. And if you are a husband, thank God that he gave you a loyal wife who is there to help you in the war. And both of us, both of us in the marital relationship need to thank God that we're all under the general command of the Lord Jesus, who then, of course, is the higher court of appeal if we have any problems within the relationship. That there is a higher court that we can go to. That's what we've got to remember if you're married. You're actually at war. And so wives in the heat of battle, are you really going to run around, turn around and show disloyalty to your officer? Are you going to frag your own officer just because you don't want to submit to his love? And husbands in the heat of battle, are you really going to be harsh to your fellow soldier because you can't humble yourself to act in love, are you going to give your wife a reason to frag you by not loving her? Give her a reason to be disloyal to yourself. Sadly, in the heat of battle, insubordination and hatred is all too common. Spouses often want to drop grenades on one another than on the problem that Satan has dished up to them. You see it. People, they're there, and instead of fighting the problem, they fight one another. And you're meant to be working together against the problem. Forgotten that we're at a war together. The pride has snuck in, and it causes us to forget what we're doing and who we are in a married relationship. What are we in a marriage relationship? Well, we are one. Yes, we are two, but we are one. This is the teaching that is given to us in Ephesians chapter 5, that passage that we just looked at. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, 28, it says, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Husbands, do you realize that loving your wife works out to your advantage, whereas pride doesn't? Why should the head look after the hand? 
Because the hand can bring food to the head. It's to your advantage, head, to look after your hand. It's to your advantage, husband, to look after your wife and love her. And wives, why does submitting to your husband's love work out to your advantage too? Well, by taking the hand, taking food to the mouth, what happens? Energy flows down and into the hand. It works out to the hand's advantage too, whereas pride doesn't. Pride doesn't work out to your advantage. If you say, I'm off here on my own and I'm not going near that awful head, eventually you'll shrivel and die. Feeding the head gets benefit for you too. Head looking after the hand, it works out for your benefit too. So at a minimum, when we look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, we should see a self-interest in keeping these commands. Rather than going against these commands, we should have self-interest in ourselves and going, yes, it's actually to my advantage if I keep these commands. But what is the greatest motivator for keeping this command of wives submitting to your husbands and of husbands loving your wives and not being harsh to them? Well, marriage is a great picture of the gospel. And that's given to us in Ephesians chapter 5 as well. In verse 32, after talking about how we are one, uh, in one flesh and, uh, and how the husbands ought to look after their own bodies, what does he say in verse 32? This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. Talking about, I thought it was a mystery of a, a man and a woman becoming one flesh. But he says, I'm actually talking about Christ and the church. The marriage relationship that is being given to us here on earth is really just given to us so that we can picture, so that we can understand God's love, Christ's love as our spouse in helping us to war against evil in this world. We really struggle as sinful humans to understand the love of God. And so God graciously gives us earthly pictures. It can be a father and son, is another one that we'll be looking at in future weeks. Even masters and slaves, that's another picture that we can understand. We're said to be slaves of God, servants of God. But there's this wonderful picture that starts off these, these instructions that are given here, and that's of husbands and wives. And that is a beautiful picture that we have of God's relationship to the church. So husbands and wives, do you realise what you're doing every time you disobey the commands that are given in Colossians 3, 18 and 19. When a wife does not submit to a husband, when a husband does not love his wife, you're throwing mud at the beautiful picture that has been given to us of Christ and the church, of the bride, the church, submitting to the heavenly groom and the heavenly groom loving his bride. Every time you break those commands, you throw mud at that picture. And people then don't understand the love of God in the way that we can if people will follow, just follow the instructions that are given in Colossians 3, 18 and 19. So spouses that are here today, let us all witness to the gospel by swallowing our pride, partly out of self-interest, because it actually works for your good, but also for the sake of the gospel so that people can understand the love of God better. As they look at our earthly marriages, they see a shadow, a glimmer of the most perfect marriage of all, 
of Christ and the church. But what should all believers do? I've spoken very specifically, as the Apostle Paul has this morning, he's spoken very specifically to husbands and wives. I know that not all of you are in that category. As I said at the beginning, we're all different. We all have different roles and responsibilities. So what are all of us to do? Well, we're all to cling by the power of the Holy Spirit to the image of the gospel given in in marriage. Think of the most perfect marriage you can imagine. The most perfect marriage where the husband is always loving and always kind and always gracious and never harsh or bitter and where the wife is always loyal and faithful and rejoices in her husband's love which continues to wash over her every day. Think of the most perfect marriage where that situation is in play. Now realise that that is a relationship that you have with Jesus Christ if you're a Christian. Jesus is the most perfect, marvellous groom that anyone can imagine. He always loves us. I'm a husband and I recognise that I do not always love my wife as I should. But Christ always loves his bride. He is always working for our good. Christ is not our enemy anymore. Before we became a Christian, yes, he was our enemy. He's not our enemy anymore, though, if you've become a Christian, if you've bowed the knee to him and submitted to his love, he is your groom, he is your spouse. He is at war, yes, but not with you, against your common enemies of the world, Satan. And your own flesh. He is there united with you to make war on your enemies. And so when you are submitting, what are you submitting to when you submit to Christ? You're submitting to his perfect love and his forgiveness that he continues to pour on you day by day as we receive it through his blood shed at the cross so many years ago. And so then if we submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, if he is our perfect groom, what does that mean? It means he prospers. His kingdom is advanced. And we prosper. And our joy knows no bounds. We have this wonderful illustration given to us, which we can grasp somewhat because of earthly marriages. But then we think of the ideal marriage. And that is what we have with Christ Jesus. But sadly, even as Christians... We often want to frag our own captain, don't we? We want to frag the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not enough that he died for us once already. We want to kill him again and again and again each day and often without even thinking about it. How do we do that? It's by despising his laws, his commands, even the ones that are given to us here in Colossians chapter 3. You hear wives, submit to your husbands. You go, I'm not doing that. And husbands, you hear, love your wives. You go, I'm not doing that. What are you doing? You're fragging your own captain, the Lord Jesus Christ. You're attacking him again, despising his laws. You think, how dare he? Who does he think he is to command me to do those things? I won't, I won't, I won't, and I don't. And what are you doing? You're attacking your spouse, the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect spouse, the perfect groom who has always loved you. He's always 
showing you the way to true joy and contentment and happiness if you will only submit to him and follow his commands. So let us all be loyal brides who happily submit to Christ's love, grasping something more of that image that is being given to us of the perfect love of God shown to us as a spouse shows to his bride. And so we fight evil together with Christ rather than continue to fight against him instead of the evil one. And if you're here and you're not a Christian this morning, what do I have to say to you? Well, I want you to know exactly what you're doing if you're rejecting the Lord Jesus. Yes, you love to be the boss and not submit to Christ. You don't want him to be your spouse. You don't want to repent. You don't want to believe. You don't want to obey him, certainly. Okay, well, know this. I want to be very clear this morning with you now. Know this. One day you will submit to Jesus Christ. And it won't be as a bride submitting to a husband's love. It'll be as an enemy forced to kneel before Jesus Christ on Judgment Day, forced into eternal punishment for your rejection of his offers of love. The first time Jesus came, he came on a donkey to marry those who will have him and save them from evil. The second time he comes, Jesus will come on a war horse and it will be to capture and punish all those who reject him. You think the everyday slog of this world is hard. The world is fighting against you. You may have resonated with that. You may think, I don't need anyone's help. I can work against the world. I've got it under control. You think fighting the evil one is hard. You think fighting your own flesh, which continues to have bad habits that you can't seem to get under control. You think that's hard? Well, try fighting the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes on Judgment Day. You'll find what what it is to be at war. It'll be a war you will never win. And it may be sooner than you think. It may not be Judgment Day. It may be when you die. It's said in Scripture that man is destined to die once and after that face judgment. Judgment may be coming for you faster than you think. Who knows, tonight, your very life may be demanded from you. You do not know. So are you going to say, I don't want help with sin, with Satan and the world and death that is coming? Are you too proud to admit that you need help, that you're in a war and you need help? You need a spouse to help you? Come to Jesus now. Ask for forgiveness for your sins. Trust that Jesus died for you. Do what is instructed to us in Psalm 2, where it says, Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Take refuge in Jesus Christ today. If you've never repented of your sins, never said sorry to God, do it now, before you're forced to submit when you die or if Jesus returns. Let's come to Christ now. Let's come to him and speak to him. Lord Jesus, we praise you as our loving groom. But we ask that you would forgive us, those of us who are married here this morning, for not submitting and loving each other as we should. We ask that you would help the marriages in our church 
by the power of your spirit to work at giving the best possible witness to the gospel by our marriages. And Lord, we ask that you would help us all by your spirit to submit to your forgiving love. Oh Lord, we pray that we would rejoice in the fact that we have a heavenly spouse who always loves us and is never harsh with us. And so Lord, we pray that it would be a joy to submit to you in all your ways that you have instructed for us to live. And we pray this in your name. Amen.